Today's episode is brought to you by Dreammaker Racing, the New York bred specialist. From top quality New York bred racehorses, Hall of Fame trainers, and unmatched hospitality services, Dreammaker Racing has everything to offer when it comes to owning a racehorse. Have you ever imagined what it's like to see your horse cross the finish line first at racetracks like Saratoga or Belmont? Well, now you can. Dreammaker Racing will put you in the winner's circle. Call today at 518 518- 587-5550 or visit DreamMakerRacing.com and let us make your dreams come true today. And welcome to another episode of the Stewcast. I am Stu, obviously. Uh, this is... A fantastic show today. Thank you for tuning in. I know a lot of new listeners. We've had a lot of big numbers recently. Thank you for being part of that. Thank you for, I mean, this is a, this is an ideal a, a kernel of, uh, of a thought that started in December. And now, flash forward, we're talking to Sean Belizean. We're talking to Phil Steele today what I think is the strongest show. Sorry, got a lipper in. I think y'all excuse me. Um, you know, it, it's crazy. It's very surreal. And I mentioned this last week. It was surreal going on a podcast. Uh, Pete Fornatal uh, and the racingpicks.com folks had me on. I, I talked a little ponies on a Saturday at Saratoga. Got close in a couple races. I gave you the second Second place finisher, but, you know, it is what it is, right? You know, uh, horseshoes and hand grenades, right? Almost only counts. So it, it, it's one of those things where it was a surreal experience being on that show, talking with those guys. And today's show is really crazy because the first time I heard Phil Still is one of the first times I heard Sean Belizean and they were talking about college football in Detroit, I was with my dad in the car, and I heard the conversation. I made him go to the Kroger's uh, near my house, and, and I had to pick up the magazine. Had to. And, wow, changed my whole trajectory on life because I was hooked on college football. Once I read that and started paying more attention to the games and not just Michigan State or Michigan, it was paying attention to you know, Northwestern. It was paying attention to Ole Miss. It was paying attention to Arizona State. It was paying attention to Memphis, et cetera, et cetera. And it made me love the game. So having both those guys on today, I hope you enjoy the show even uh, a hundredth of what I did. Uh, Coming up, you know, hey, I'm going to level with you. I got, you know, life life comes at you quick. You know, to quote Big Cat, uh, it's coming at me quick here. I'm going to turn and burn uh, this episode today. Next week, I think you can only expect one episode. I kind of foreshadowed that. Some things fell into place, and I'm just going to have one episode. However, I'm going to do my best to to try and give you the best I can. Um, And with that, you know, we got Gino Bucola coming up. We've got... uh, ESPN stance and info guys coming up. We've got a hockey round table coming up. 
We've got Norm Chad, the commentator for the World Series of Poker. He's coming up, and I'm reaching out to uh, quite a few more guests, and, and not to mention a huge, I mean absolutely huge, Kentucky Derby preview with an all-star cast. I, if there's one Kentucky Derby preview you're going to want to listen to, it's going to be that one. Uh, I'm not going to give out the names yet. You'll just see it when it pops up. Uh, it, it is phenomenal. The group of people um, that have already committed and and will be on that show. And it's going to be intense. Uh, and we're not talking about camping. So with that, you know, like, rate, subscribe. Uh, drop me a line. Let me know how I'm doing. Let me review the show. Tell me what you think. Uh I, I listen to a lot of folks, a uh, good friend, Patrick McDill, a listener. He reached out. He said, hey, I want some more hockey content. And I was like, you know what? You're right. I do too. You're going to get a lot of hockey content today. And you're going to get a hockey roundtable because I love me some NHL playoffs. We're working on some NBA stuff too. Uh, that will be coming up soon. We're going to mix in baseball too. So we're, we're trying to... We're trying to give everybody a little a little different helping of everything on their plate. Uh, but, you know, it, it's one of those things. It's, it's week to week, and, and hopefully you stick with. This is the only show this week. Uh, I'm, I'm going to be on with uh, the Starter Allowance podcast with Pete Fornertal. He's going to be doing the Around the Horn segment with us, so I'll be on that. Please check that out. That's a... <laughs> It's a fun time. We're going to go over the Saratoga late pick four on Friday. And uh, I, I hope you dig that. But until next week, I am out. And I'm going to leave it to Sean Belizean and Phil Steele. Enjoy the show. Let me know what you think. I am Stu. I'm out. Joined at this time with a guy that's near and dear to me. He, you can catch him on WJR 760 in Detroit. He is the voice of Wayne State Athletics, mainly the football program. Go Warriors, beat the Cardinals. And uh, just one of my boyhood heroes, he's Sean Belizean. Sean, how are you, brother? Oh, that's very kind of you. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to chat with you. So it's a weird thing because – when I first started getting into sports seriously was right around the time you joined the fan in 1999 mm -hmm. and your show was the first show that I called into as like a 13 year old. And I, I had, I like worked up the courage called. I, it was about Nick Lindstrom. I made some comment about Nick Lindstrom and you were like, Oh, that's a good point. And you said afterwards, Oh, Al had a good, a good point. And I'm like, Oh, I made it. I'm not stupid. I like it. So thank you for that. And I, I truly appreciate it, brother. No, thank you. It's, uh, I mean, it's, it really is uh, crazy. I grew up with the fan too. You know I mean? When, when the fan started, I was in school and um, I, I remember driving to class and thinking to myself, gosh, would I love to work for that station one day. And just a few short years later, I had the opportunity for about 12 years and it was, it was a great time. It really was great time. Yeah, we were talking a little bit of Al Fair, and it's like you described it as magical, and it really was. I mm -hmm. mean, 
Detroit, people don't realize this, but the Detroit sports market is, it's one of the best in the country. I mean, the teams may not be the greatest, but at least right now, but uh, between, you know, the Millen debacle, the wings being hot and the Hall of Fame teams they were putting together, the Tigers run, the Pistons, you were in like the perfect time in, in a hot spot in the country that a lot of people overlook. Yeah, it's it's funny because uh, one of the things that that we some of the guys that worked at the fan talk about is we didn't know how good we had it. You know that that's been a a common refrain I, I, I think for a few years now. And um, gosh, there was so much going on. It re- it really was, and it was a great crew, um, and, and we had a lot of success. And it was it was uh, just a fun time and. You know, I, I kind of think back to myself, I, I can't believe that, you know, at least the crew that we had for so many years, I can't believe that was over 11 years ago now. You know, I mean, just time flies by. So, um, yeah, it, it, boy, you're right when you put it that way. I guess I never really thought of it that way. Uh, you talk about everything kind of happening at the same time. You know, you had the fire millen thing and, and you know, the wings – coming out of one end of a lot of success and, and coming into, you know, a, a new era of, of, of success, obviously not as long uh, when you think of the two cup runs in, in 08 and 09, um, you know, the, the Pistons, you know, coming out of nowhere really and winning that title in 04, uh, the, the Tigers, 2006 was so magical. It was, it was incredible. It was, I, you know, it's funny. A lot of people look back at that era of the Tigers and say, um, Oh gosh, I wish they had one. Well, of course I wish they had one. No doubt about it. But that doesn't take away from the fact that it was really, I mean, it was just a wonderful, wonderful time. It really was. A lot of, a lot of days of hooky from uh, high school and a lot of, uh, <coughs> I'm sick today. I can't come in <laughs> calling for your buddies, uh, you know, Oh, I'm the father of, uh, and uh, yeah, just fun times. Speaking of fun times. Um, if you're a Flyers fan, you're having a real fun time this morning. Obviously, you are not. You're wearing the, <laughs> the bright and uh, beautiful logo of the Habs. Yes. Uh, let's talk some hockey. I, I know you're a hockey savant. You're a poor man's Kevin Allen. Um, <laughs> I like but, that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You can tell Kevin that. Um, I will. I will definitely tell Kevin that. Thank you. So, you know, you have always been – First and foremost, pushing hockey. You're a big hockey guy. You understand the game. You watch the games. Um, wh- let's start with the Habs and Flyers because that series, the Habs, uh, you know, they lose Claude Julian, their, their coach. Luckily, he's doing healthy. I read this morning he's got yep. a stint in. He's healthy. And, and Kirk Mueller gets, uh, you know, bumped up. Immediately makes some changes, moves Domi up from the fourth to the third line, gets a little bit of energy, and they're playing against what is arguably the hottest team in the NHL. They're playing them tough. Yeah, you know, I mean, talk about a flip of the script. I mean, the Habs were awful this year. They they really were. They 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 just weren't a good team. And you know, you as you probably know, um, they were sellers at the deadline as well. So you got to imagine they wish they had that Scandella. Right? That. Yeah. You know, Nate Thompson and 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 you know Kovalchuk. It, it, it would be nice to have them right now. Uh, I'm stunned at the way that they're playing. Um, when they utilize their speed, uh, they can be dangerous. It was amazing to me how uh, they took care of Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh looked like a team that was really 
dealing with some issues and, and the Habs didn't let them off the mat. And a uh, game two on Friday was just insane. I mean, they just buzzed the flyers from, from really the puck drop. And, you know, you, you could say that they had a jump and, you know, Muller's a guy that, you know, has, has been a coach in the national hockey league. He coached in, in Carolina and, uh, he's a legend there. You know, he's a member of the 93 team and everything. So this is his second tour of duty as an assistant. So, you know, the familiarity is there, but boy, he, he got the guys going and, you know, the series is two one Philly right now, but, but what jumps out to me is how tight those two wins were, you know, Montreal's making it very difficult on them. Uh, last night, you knew Philly was going to bounce back. And I, I think that heart kid is something else. I really do. I, I think he is one heck of a goaltender. You knew that he was going to bounce back last night, and, and he did. Certainly, he was the, the difference in the game. You know, a redeflect in front was the only thing that got past Kerry, but Kerry kind of turned in the hands of time back as well. He's, he's looked like the guy that, you know, for years, the argument could be made that he was the best goalie in, in the league. And it wasn't like he was awful during the season or anything, but he looks like, you know, that unbeatable price again. So it, it's going to be fun moving forward to see how that, that series transpires. Look, I, I still think Philly wins a series, you know, um, there's, there's a reason why they got themselves the number one seed, but uh, the Habs are making it very difficult on them for sure. It reminds me a lot of uh, forget the exact year, but about ooh, maybe seven, eight years ago when as an eight seed, they knock off uh the I think it was the Caps and the Pens. Yep. They knocked them both off back to back. I, I forget the 2010. The 2010. Yeah. Yep. It, you know, you nailed it. They they beat the Caps. They they beat the Pens, the defending Cup champions, and they then lost in the conference finals to Philly. And uh, no, you're right. It's it's kind of coming out of nowhere. Uh, Yaroslav Halak. Remember Halak? Uh, well, what, yeah. What? We're going to be getting uh, somehow. He's still around and, yeah, and still was, very important. Yeah, he was the stud back then. So, yeah, it was, a, it was a, a silly good run. But, you know, is this team capable of that? No, I don't think so. But uh, it, it's, it's been fun to watch. It's, it's been a darn good series so far. And it's really house money. Um, you know, as a Habs guy, do you look at it and go, ah, oh, I, wish, I wish we would have been in the drawing for the number one pick. I mean, oh, Lafreniere, Lafreniere would have been a really nice piece to have. Uh, is there any or, – or is it just like, hey, we still got hockey. I still got my Habs on TV, so I'll take it. Yeah, I'd be lying if I, there, there's there, there's a little bit of that going on, especially, you know, Lafreniere is, is from just outside of Montreal. So it would have been, you know, kind of a storybook thing if, if he ended up there. But um, as Red Wing fans know, as everybody knows, there's no guarantee with the, the lottery. And I think this year in particular, I've never been a fan of the lottery, but this year in particular – you just shake your head and, and so many people are making about about the Red Wings and I don't think it's about the Red Wings I think that's part of it but I think it's a small part of it I just don't think it's ever a good look for a league when you have a team that was uh, better than 15 other teams getting the number one pick I, I just I don't think that's a good look and the NHL's fine with it and you know so be it there's nothing that we can say there's no amount of crying that's going to change it but I, I I just think it's a poor look and you know, that's what we're looking at. You know, there's always, there's always going to be those people that sit there and go, well, you know, anti tankers look at the Sixers and the NBA. They openly tanked. Yeah. Um, you know, you can make the tiger 
Tiger case that they're tanking, but I just think it's uh, a poor GM. And then, you know, you look at uh, the NFL, there's a lot of tanking um, that takes place, you know, uh, uh, win for Tua, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. In hockey, though, the percentages, you're, I mean, there's not really tanking. So teams like Ottawa, who I think there is a little intentions. I mean, there's there's a money concern there. There's ownership problems. Uh, it's not so much tanking. They're just trying to save money. And in doing so, they're not putting out a good product. And and the wings are in a complete rebuild mode. This, this whole tanking thing, I mean, is there any chance you think Batman reassesses this draft procedure after this? I mean... Sadly, no. Um... I, I think with his NBA background, um, you know, there are a couple things that he really likes. I think he likes that. I, I think he likes um, the, the seating as well in the playoffs. I don't think we'll, we'll see that. Obviously, this playoff is different with COVID and everything. But, no, I, I don't think there's a chance that um, they, they revisit that. They should because, I, you know, I, I'll, this is just a bad look. It, it, mm -hmm. it is. You know, it, it would be one thing, Al, if, if, you know, this was a scenario where, you know, you mentioned a couple teams like um, uh, Ottawa or whoever, you know, that, that finished fourth or even fifth, kind of crept up and got the number one seed. I still think it's silly, but it's not jaw-droppingly silly. This is, this is, huh? You know, that, that's what this is. There's, there's no other way to say that. But I, I wish they would. I know that they're going to say, well, it was extenuating circumstances this year. You know, that's, that's going to be the play for years to come. You know, normally you wouldn't find a team in a position like that. But here we are. You're, you're in that position. And, you know, the, the Rangers' futility in the playoffs and the fact that they, you know, really didn't show to play ends up playing out for them. So, um I guess in a way you could say they did their own version of tanking and it paid off for them. So uh, before we get back to the playoffs, a question though, on the Rangers, mm -hmm. you know, they get Kako, Capo Kako, gotta love that name. Uh, he, he gets drafted what second overall um, last year. They're going to have Lafreniere unless they move that pick. What do you, mm -hmm. what do you put the odds at it, uh, the Rangers moving that, that pick? I don't think they will. I mean, I, I, like you said, I think they've got some nice pieces there. And um, this is a guy who is number one. I mean, he is, he is number one. You know, I don't, I don't follow the juniors as intently as I did when I was working in it. You know, I, I worked for years in the Ontario hockey league and then a few years in the USHL, uh, but I still follow it, uh, you know, I guess more than the average bear. He is number one by far. Um, they tried to, for a few months there, they tried to create um, a story uh, and, and they threw a couple other names out there. You know, the, the old who's number, who's going to go number one routine. It didn't go over well. So they dropped all pretenses. He's, he's by far and away the number one prospect. Now, now again, that doesn't mean that he's going to be the number one player eventually out of the draft. I mean, we've seen how that worked out in the past, but no, it's, I, I think the Rangers would be moronic to, to move that pick. I mean, now with that being said, if somebody offers an incredible package, then all bets are off, but you know, you are getting a gift to me, you accept the gift and you move on with your day. Uh, maybe the Canadians can, you know, Jeff Petrie, some poutine, and uh, 
you know some, some of that some smoked meat some yeah some of the meat. oh yeah absolutely uh beautiful so we going back to Hollick, he's back in the news he's he's net minding for the bruins they come back and they they make a go at at the canes who were another really hot team i mean mm-hmm. them and the flyers after they just just went straight through like a hot knife through butter with the rangers Shvetchnikov? I'm horrible with these Ukrainian names. But uh, he gets injured. He's out for what seems like the rest of the playoffs. Man, doesn't it seem like the Bruins, you know, Rask leaves and and they just kind of – they're setting up to, like, just rally around Halak. And, you know, they were one of the top two teams before, you know, before Mm -hmm. COVID hit, uh, entering the playoffs – where are you where are you taking uh, a stance in this? In this yeah, you know what they it, it, to me in in the in the round robin they they were sleepwalking. Um, they they didn't look good at all. Um, make no mistake about that. They didn't look good at all. And uh, the, you know if you want to say they flipped a switch, I guess you can say they flipped the switch. But they better flip the switch because. Uh, that Hurricanes team goes, and there's a lot of young talent there, and they play hard for for Coach Brindamore. So um, they they better they better take this very seriously and and, and make sure that they flip that switch. Um, y- you know the Tuca thing, I get it. I, I don't want to sound um, callous or anything like that, but to me, you knew what this was before you jumped in, and I have to ask aloud how guys feel about that I, I i mean honestly because it'd be one thing if if you didn't know what you were entering that, that you that you didn't know what the bubble was going to entail that you didn't know what it was going to be and and i hope again that i don't sound as callous because you and i were just talking about you know some of the life decisions that we've made for our kids and zero regrets you know you, you want to be there for as, as much as you can but with that being said, I think he knew ahead of time what, what the deal was. And, um, you know, of course, the, the organization is going to say all the right things. The guys are going to say all the right things. But you really wonder if guys are sitting back and going, well, wait a second. Well, I, I miss my kids, too. You know, we, we knew what we signed up for. So with that being said, um, I, that's his choice. I think it's, you know, absolutely positively and you know, uh, with a, with a baby at home and everything, my goodness gracious, it's gotta be so difficult, but uh, listen, I, in my mind, I think we have a job to look at all sides of, of an issue. And I, I think you are insane. If you don't consider that there might be some guys right now going, huh? You, know, we, <laughs> you knew what it was and I miss my kids too, but you know, yeah. I made a commitment to do this. So I'll be interested to see what that looks like moving forward. So you, you brought up a really cool point, too. And, you know, the Bruins weren't the only ones sleepwalking through the through the preliminaries and the play-ins. A lot of veteran guys just seemed like they were just kind of like, eh, I'm here, get me out. Well, we'll we, this really doesn't mean anything. We'll just get them in the next round. And the young teams, I think that played a part in so many upsets, quote-unquote, um, what what do you think the is is that a fair statement? Is that a fair assessment of how that that preliminary rounds went? Yeah, it it it, I, it that's the one thing I I didn't like the idea of that. I didn't like the idea of the round robin. I, I at all. Um, 
And I think some teams, as you said, did sleepwalk. Uh, there's no doubt about it. You can look at Boston and say, well, it didn't affect them too adversely as we sit here right now. I think it really affected the Capitals. I, the Capitals, they look like garbage. They, they yeah. deserve every bit of that 0-3 hole. They really do. They deserve every bit of that 0-3 hole. And, you know, especially against that team, a Barry Trotz coach team, if you don't bring it, you're going to find yourself in a hole. I mean, there's a reason why so many guys respect him and, and all of that. So um, I, I, I don't think there's any question that that – that which you speak of, uh, you, can, you can point at the Washington Capitals and look at them. Yeah, speaking of which, you know, Tom Wilson, I was watching first period yesterday, Tom Wilson back-to-back back back penalties. And it's like, what are you, what are you doing, man? Um, I hate the Capitals. I hate their fans. They're garbage fans out here. Um, <laughs> at least the, the best thing they've ever done is change from those god-awful black, gold, blue. Oh, terrible. Oh man, Terrible. Ole Kolzig days, just awful stuff. Um, but yeah, I love I love Willie though. I I know what people think about him. Uh, I got a chance to know him and his family a little bit when he was playing in junior. You know, I was doing Whaler games at the time, and he is he's a great guy. He mm -hmm. is he's a, he's a great guy. He's loved by his teammates. Uh, he he plays up to the line, and he crosses the line very often. But he is just. He's one of those guys you just love him. He's he's got a a lust for life, and he's got you know a sparkle in his eye and everything. He's a great kid, and you know I I think and this is what I always tell people. You know that that list of guys that uh, you'd love him if he was on your team, and I I think Tom Wilson definitely belongs on that list. The how much is uh, Nick Backstrom concussion? How much is that hurting oh, what they're doing? Yeah, it's a monster. I mean, there's, there's, listen, I mean, right now, I think for most teams, I think the margin of error is so small when you, when you lose a guy, uh, let alone, God forbid you lose a couple guys. I think that's, that's a, a huge thing. I mean, you know, I think a lot of people thought, sorry to bounce around. I think a lot of people thought that, that Steven Stamkos would be back by now. Um, that's, that's just monstrous. That's monstrous for Tampa, especially when you consider they're also playing with a, with a less than 100% Victor Hedman. So, you know, those, those are factors in series like this, especially when you're playing, you know, gritty teams like the Islanders, when you're playing a gritty team, you know, obviously like Columbus. I mean, those well, are Corpus big Salo, factors. Corpus Allo has what, 430 saves in the last two games. So, I mean, it's incredible. It's an, I mean, really it's, it's incredible. And hey, they got two good goalies, you know, with Columbus. So that's, that's, um, yeah, no, you're absolutely right. You, you cannot underscore uh, the effect of, of losing a guy or guys at, at this point in time. How much of a factor was that eight period, five overtime uh, game? How much, how much wind do you think that took out of Columbus's sales? You know, um, the way they bounced back, I think answered, I think answered that to me, especially on the heels of what happened last year. Tampa had to win that game. Tampa had to win that game. And I'm, I'm not joking when I say that. And I even had an ex NHLer uh, kind of put that in my mind, to be honest with you. Uh, he, he said, listen, this is, this is right now. This is psychological. I get that. It's only, you know, the, the start of what the real playoff is, but this is a team that, you know, after what transpired last year, there's no way in Hades that you can just 
go out there and lose a game of this magnitude and not have it sit square in your brain and wonder aloud how, um, you know, how this is going to affect them moving forward. So Tampa got that win, but, you know, Columbus showed their resolve. They bounced right back and, you know, uh, as, as crazy as he seems, I, I think that Tortorella knows exactly what he's doing. I really do. And I think he's crazy like a fox. And here we are. Well, last week, switching conferences, last week we had Joe Ostrowski from 670 to score out in Chicago. And we were talking a little Blackhawks Vegas, what, what he thought was going to happen. And um, he, he painted a very bleak picture if you're a Hawks fan. Is it? that the Hawks are just a little too old or is it that Vegas is just so good because, you know, the Hawks get one back yesterday two one. Um, but man, Vegas dominated that game. And if it's not for Corey Crawford standing on his head, doing the splits and cartwheels, it, that's a very, that series is pretty much finito. Um, what's your take on that series? You know, it's weird. I was in Chicago shortly before this hit, and I got a chance to see the Hawks. And the one thing that jumped out to me, and, I, and you can tell me if you agree or disagree, they've got some pieces. You know, it, it's not just the old pieces. They have uh, some pieces. I love Debrinkat. I, I, I love the kid. Uh, you know, I think he's a perfect example of a guy that probably wouldn't have been able to play in the National Hockey League 10, 15, 20, 25 years ago, but now can make a, a living for a long time and have some success in the National Hockey League. But a, a lot like the Habs in the East, they're just not a good team. I mean, they, they, they showed it all year long. So I, I thought it was amazing that you had two, you know, in essence, 12 seeds win in the first round. It was, it was absolutely amazing to me because both of those teams kind of – you know, I don't want to say dogs because I, I, they just weren't good, you know. So with them pulling the upset against Edmonton, this wasn't a good this wasn't a good matchup for them either. Make no mistake about that. And uh, as you said, the, the takeaway from last night, look, it was Corey Crawford. Um, it, it's been nice. I think Taze turned back the clock a little bit. I thought he was unbelievable in that Edmonton series in particular. But um, this isn't a good matchup. And I think I think most – you know, if you're in the position that, that Chicago or, or Montreal are in, most matchups aren't going to be good matchups because you're not good teams. But this this isn't a, a good matchup at all. But, you know, props to them. Uh, you know, both teams are only down 2-1 in the series. Uh, but this one is because of the Herculean goal, uh, efforts of their goaltender. And we're going to circle back to the Hawks because I think there's a parallel between them and my favorite team and your second favorite team, at least I hope. Mm -hmm. uh, man, this Flames Calgary uh, Flames and Stars series, excuse me. Man, is that fun to watch? Oh, big time. They just they're just going at it. I've always been a Shane Monahan guy. I've always thought that that team was just on the cusp. They just never, you know, they never got the puck luck. They just never had the right pieces, but they were always close. And Dallas just kind of, you know, they're doing their thing the last couple seasons. They've been just steady as she goes. Man, what, what are you making out of this? Because it's fireworks every single game. It's I, I agree with you. Um, you know, I as I've gotten older, um, and I don't know how many people can relate to this, it wasn't that long ago that I could stay up every night 
and watch the 1030 games. And oh, yeah. as I've gotten older, I can't do it anymore. I, you know, it's a combination of the kids and it's a combination of I get tired and I'm usually asleep by 1130. I've made a point to, to stay up. I know Thursday night I stayed up and, and, and watched that game. I'm with you. I like that Calgary team. And um, uh, it, it, it's so funny because um, I think the Lucic line in particular has, has really done a good job of, of flexing its muscle and, and creating havoc and everything. That was a great watch yesterday afternoon. It was, yeah, it, was. it was a tremendous watch. And honest to goodness, um, I had a premonition that Dallas was going to tie that game up. I really did. I, I, I just – with about two minutes to go, I was like, I just, boy, I got a sneaking suspicion we're going to see some overtime. And that certainly has been one good thing about, you know, this format. We've seen a heck of a lot of overtime. And, and, and sure enough, uh, Pavelski scores again. But, um, you know, I, it'll be interesting to see now how Calgary bounces back because, I, you know, again, I, I, I like that team. I've, I've got my questions about their goaltending. You know, no disrespect. I got my questions about Cam. But, um I like I like everything about that team and, and the way that they play. I think they play a, a playoff-type style. Now, do I think they can make a nice long run? No, I, I, I don't, you know, envision them winning the West or anything like that. But, you know, can they make can, – can they win a playoff series or two? I think absolutely, yes. And I want to, I want to group these teams together. Mm-hmm. Uh, Blues, Canucks, uh, man, that's another series – Bo Horvat is like just – he's just going wild. The Canucks, I mean, Quinn Hughes has become a revelation. Um, as a young defenseman, just – he's flying everywhere. He's like a dodgeball playing for average Joe. Yep. just diving, ducking, dodging. And on the flip side, the Avs with their young core, uh, Kel Mark and Makor, Macker, mm-hmm. um, God, he's just fun to watch. I mean, these are young defensemen that you can just see bringing up the lines whenever they step on the ice. What do you look at the rest of the West? Um, You know, the Abs and Blues were prohibitive favorites coming Mm -hmm. into, you know, the stretch before uh, the shutdown. Are they going to get through, or are the Canucks going to trip these guys up? You know, I – I picked uh, the Avs before the season started back in October. Um, they're loaded. They, they really are. I think the Avs, much to the chagrin perhaps of some Red Wing fans that are holding on to that unbelievable rivalry, I think that they've got, they've got a long run ahead of them. I really do. So uh, when this format started, I stuck with the Avs. I still think that the Avs are going to, to win the West. Uh, you mentioned Vancouver. They have really opened my eyes. That that is that that is, I think they're a team that it, while they're just behind uh, Colorado, I think right now, I think that they're a team that has a nice bright future ahead of them. Now, with that being said, it doesn't seem like that long ago that a lot of us felt that way about Winnipeg. That okay, it is only a matter of time before Winnipeg breaks the seal, and, and that just hasn't come to fruition. I, th- I think there's a problem there. That's a story for a different day. Well, Bufflin, um, Bufflin pulling the contract dispute earlier this year. I think that really, yeah, he there's, a there's, key, he's a key piece in that team. Oh yeah. You know what? I think some of the young players, I, I think there are other more important things on their mind, uh, but <laughs> we'll, we'll save that for another day. But yeah. um, no, I, I, Vancouver's loaded. I, I'll tell you this much. I was working for uh, USA hockey 
when Quinn Hughes was there. So I got a chance to see him every home game. Uh, I was screaming at anybody that would listen uh, for the Red Wings to, to select Quinn Hughes. He's, he's one of the most beautiful skaters I've ever seen. And I, you know, to all your viewers out there, I, uh, the next time you get a chance to, to watch Vancouver, uh, watch Quinn Hughes skate. He, and I mean, honestly, he is just an effortless, beautiful. Yes. I use the word beautiful, beautiful skater. And I, I, I think that's the defenseman that, you know, is so imperative in the national hockey league today. And, um, you know, it, I mean, who knows what, how things would have turned out, but, uh, Quinn Hughes was right in the backyard. You know, he's playing at USA hockey arena out in Plymouth, uh, you know, about 30 miles away from, uh, little Caesars arena. I, I thought it was a no brainer. They, they didn't go in that direction, but, uh, their loss certainly is Vancouver's gain. And, and I, 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 that Vancouver team is, I saw Elliot Friedman. I, I want, I think it was Elliot Friedman. I'm not 100% sure, but Elliot Friedman was doing a compare and contrast to, to these uh, Canucks and, and the, the pre Stanley cup Chicago Blackhawks, how, how you saw it coming a couple years in advance and you knew that they were too young and dumb to really make any noise. And then, you know, they, they burst on the scene and found a way to get it done in 2010 and everything. Um, you know, he, and, and he made, you know, a pretty apt comparison between those two teams. And so, you know, it might, it might not be this year. I don't think it'll be this, this year, but who knows, maybe next year or the year after, you know, we're, we're going to be looking at Vancouver, perhaps celebrating their first Stanley cup. Yeah, you think that there may be just that – what put Chicago over the hump really was was like the Marion Hossa signing, mm -hmm. um, you know, a key trade here and there. I mean, do you think it's this, the same thing like you were saying? Like they just need that one key free agent, that one that one trade, they're that one guy, the right guy away. Yeah, and, and you know, they, they've got they've – got the pieces right now. I mean, they're, they're anybody, you can't watch that team and not, you know, walk away feeling like, Whoa, you know, that that's a, that's a darn good team. Now, you know, heart of a champion last night, you, you, you have to give St. Louis credit. They knew they had to win that game. They absolutely positively had to win that game. And, and, and they did eventually win that game. And, you know, now they're feeling really good about themselves. I'm sure right back in the series and everything it's um, you, you know, the old routine, you, you don't, very often come back from 03. So the series certainly is a, is a brand new one, but boy, I'll tell you what, there, there's something about that youthful exuberance. And, and, and I think Vancouver has it in spades right now. I really do. They're loaded. What's your take on the blues or any team for that matter in the playoffs using that two goalie rotational thing? Is it just a matter of, okay, we're playing almost every single day. So we just need to, spell guys for a bed and, and give them a breather uh or do you just ride the hot hand i mean jake allen came in and and he made some key saves i mean it's really tough to stop the canucks right now um what, what's your take is that is that like do you have a preference for what you want to see out of out of your teams um you know i i totally get it when you're especially you know with this schedule when you're playing back to back i know in the east uh rod brindamore's done it you know he's he's thrown reimer in there a couple times and uh he won a couple of games so when when you play back to back i absolutely get it now it's a nice it's a nice 
issue to have when you have two guys that you feel confident about. You know, most teams don't feel that way. You know, most most guys have their number one, and then there's a, a, a clear backup. So, um, you know, there are some back-to-backs this week. Like, I'll give you an example. I mean, Carey Price, you know, are, are, are you really going to say to Carey, Hey, Kerry, we're going to give you this game off. You know, we're, you know, if Philly wins, hey, it's three games to one. We're going to give you this game off. It could be the last game in this year. I don't think that's going to happen, you know, or even if it's 2-2, I, I don't think that's going to happen. But, um, you know, when, when you're in a position like a team like that where, where you don't feel like it's, you know, a big drop-off, I don't have a problem with it. I, I know it goes against uh, some conventional wisdom, but, you know, back in the day, I remember circumstances like this happening. You know, I've, I've seen it in, in, in previous uh, cup runs by teams and, and everything. So, no, I don't have a problem with it at all. I want to uh, touch on my team, uh, the Wings. I know we got a, a, quite a few listeners in Detroit in the metro area. All right, so the Messiah has come. <laughs> we we have we have the captain back in his rightful spot, probably where he should have been six years ago. But mm-hmm. um, you know, Ken Holland. I think it's understated how Ken Holland was part of the effort that built the hockey's version of the dream team. I mean, mm-hmm. a, there's a lot of folks out there that can remember the. I mean, you, when you have Shanahan, Brett Hall, and Eisenman on the line, and you got the Russian five, and then you you have Hashik in net, you've got Osgood, who's a borderline Hall of Famer, I think. Um, you, you know, D-Mac and, and Malpe and Drapes, and, and just you go up and down the list, and you go, this is a team that you could never assemble today. This is no. just – it's, inc- no it's, it's no not doable. And, you know, they struck luck in Europe with Zetterberg and Datsuk and uh, Cronwall, and, and that carried them into the early 2010s. And then about ooh, three, four years ago, you, the wheels started coming off and guys start getting hurt. And, you know, it seemed like Ken Holland never adjusted and that the idea was we're going to get the Thomas Vanix of the world and we're going to get, you know, your hand-me-down guys on good contracts because we're paying 84-year-old uh, Nick Cronwall, you know, $7 million a year. And I think Stevie Y takes over and, and he, the cupboards are bare. And, I, you know, God bless him. He's a local guy, Dylan Larkin, um, even though he went to a, a shit school. Um God bless him. I mean, he, I don't, I just don't know that he's, I don't think, I haven't seen the improvement from the rookie year. Mantha's always shown glimpses, but he gets hurt often. Zadina was spending time in Grand Rapids. Uh, what, what's your take on the wings? I, I mean, it's going to be a process, no? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I want to start with what you said about Dylan Larkin, because I, I, I agree with you and people get mad I can't tell you how many times somebody has gotten angry because I've said this on the air or I've said it on Twitter and I don't quite understand it, to be honest with you. I think Dylan Larkin's a good player. I think that's all he is. I think he's a good player and there's nothing wrong with having a good player. And he's the type of guy that you want on your team. But I think people around here are so desirous to put somebody, anybody 
on a pedestal and say, you know, this is going to be our guy moving forward that they hear that and go, what are you talking about? He's good. Yeah, he's good. He like, that's not, it's not a knock. And I think I can't tell you how many times this has happened. Somebody, somebody has been like totally offended that I've suggested that. And I, I don't get it. I, I, I kind of have fun with it to be honest with you, but I couldn't agree more um, with your assessment. I, I, We've had a few years now. What what suggests that this guy is going to be a quote unquote star? That doesn't mean that you don't want him. That doesn't mean that you 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 cast him away or anything like that. But it is hysterical to me how how people get so upset about that. So I, I think that's the first and foremost. I'm fine with the guy. I, I'd want him on any team and I'm happy he's here. Um the one thing that I would tell people to do, and, and this struck me day one, and it's amazing how people don't listen. Um, a lot of times, if you take the time to listen to what somebody's saying, they'll give you the answer. And I think Steve Eiserman gave us the answer in his introductory uh, presser. This is going to be, as you said, a process. This is going to be a few years. This is going to be, um, there are going to be hard times coming. I think the one thing that jumped out to me is how he said, we don't want to just get back into the playoffs. We don't, you know, we want to be at the level that, that uh, hockey fans are accustomed to the Red Wings being at certainly during his career. So this idea that somehow in this off season, whenever this off season starts, the Red Wings are going to go out and buy and, you know, and, and get some pieces and, you know, take us to, I don't buy it at all we're getting john Tavares, right yeah you know what I, I was having a conversation with uh, somebody and he brought up you know a couple names like he brought up uh, taylor hall and he, he brought up robin and and i just said a why would those guys want to come here i mean honestly why why would they want to come here right now and and b um let's say you add them where do the red wings end up maybe an eight seed maybe a seven seed and Steve Eisman has said time and time again that they, they don't want to get back into that thing. The one thing that I would tell people is, is take a look at the way he conducted business in Tampa. He has shown that he is not afraid to trade anybody, anybody, you know, he, he you know, there's no, um, Oh, I got a soft spot in my heart for this guy or whatever. He he'll go out there and trade anybody. I still expect him to make some moves. Um, is Dylan Larkin one of them? I don't know. I mean, because how high is Dylan Larkin's stock right now? I think the rest of the league has seen him, and they've seen that, you know, he's a good player. I really do believe that Mantha might be a guy that, and sometimes this happens, and it's unfortunate, but a change of scenery guy, maybe for him to get the next level, um, he he needs to have a change of scenery. The I don't talent's know. there. Oh, it's the there. there. He can snipe. I mean, no, make no mistake about that, but um, he's going to – Steve's going to make some moves again, follow, follow the breadcrumbs, you know, what he did in Tampa in particular. And, you know, take a look at some of the names of the guys that he traded. He has shown definitively, he is not afraid to make moves and with big names. If he feels it makes his hockey club better. You know, and I think that, you know, when he took over and, and this is maybe an indictment on, you know, the rest of the teams in Detroit, but immediately he brought credibility to yep. the organization. And I think he, you know, he, they may have the worst record. They may be bottom of the basement, but 
I think everybody's still on board with him running things because, and, and here's the other part of it, the scary part of it. Is there, is there any, is there any piece that you wouldn't want to give up on the wings that, that you would have to take a, like, I don't see it in Rasmussen. I don't see it in Zadina, uh, Chalowski, uh, go down the list. I don't see anything, even Sider, Moritz. I mean, I, you know, Steve must have really liked something to take him that high and bypass a, a bunch of guys. I mean, uh, in your estimation, what what does this prospect core look like? And and for you, you've seen a lot of rebuilds over time. Mm-hmm. What's what's a reasonable time frame to expect? You think? Um, first of all, I couldn't agree with you more. Nobody's untouchable right now. Nobody. There's not one person. There is absolutely positively not one person who's untouchable right now. I mean, it just, it isn't, I I think, um, you know, if you're talking about reasonable, gosh, at least two years for them to, to be, um, to start making some noise. I, I, at least, let, let me stress that at least two years. You have to remember as well. I mean, who's the goalie of the future? Who's the guy? Who's gonna? Who's the guy? I mean, seriously, in the whole system, and we've heard some names for about five years now. Oh, wait till and I don't want to disrespect anybody, but oh, wait till you see this guy, or wait till you see that guy, and it's it's just never come to fruition. It just hasn't come to to fruition, and so, um, at least a couple years. But no, I, I, everybody, everybody, uh, is is up for grabs. If 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 somebody wants to come pay. Uh, now, obviously, you want to feel like you win the deal. I mean, that, that's obviously the name of the game. But I, I, don't, I don't think there's one untouchable player in, in the whole franchise. And, and listen, with that being said, that doesn't mean that I don't like guys. I, I mean, honestly, I, um, I like Zadina. I, I, I like the chip on his shoulder. I think Zadina is a guy that needs people around him. Cider, uh, you know, really made a name for himself. You know, I, I did a lot of international tournaments in, in – when I was working for USA hockey and saw a lot of um, international tournaments as well. So this is a guy that, you know, he skyrocketed his last year and, you know, side note, um, Germany's doing such a good job um, developing players. Now I think you're going to see more and more players come out of Germany. I, I really do. You know, a lot of, a lot of the European countries have, have started, you know, kind of their own um, US NTDP model. And, and you're starting to see, uh, teams really develop players. The Swiss, my goodness gracious, so they produce in, you know pretty good hockey players and everything. So, um, no, I it, 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 this is going to be a while. I hope people are aware of that. And I, I'm telling you, every year at the beginning of the year, the last two years, I, so I shouldn't say every year, but the last two years, you you've had people get excited at the start or you know over a couple games and everything. And I, I mean, I remember people doing it this past year, and I. I I mean, really, it was facepalm. Now, did I think they'd be as bad as they were? No, I don't think anybody thought they'd be as, as bad as they were. But, look, this team was historically bad. They, they really were. That's not a shot. That's not, you know, being mean or anything like that. They, they were historically bad. I mean, that goal differential was horrendous, and, and it was probably going to be a record-breaking type of scenario. Um, it's going to – at least a couple of years, at least a couple of years. I, I, I would be willing to bet anything that they're going to stink and stink very badly whenever the new season starts. And it's, it's funny you bring up a stinking and a pungent smell. 
what okay if you're an Edmonton Oilers fan what like what do you do because you have you have Dreisaitl who is uh you know Cal Norton Jr. magic man type I know you you have a different opinion on that but yeah uh check out Sean's Twitter uh and then you know you have what I, you know, I, I would put him up there with Crosby and, and possibly even better uh, in McDavid. I, I think for my money, he's the best since Gretzky. Um, that's just my personal opinion. I'd love to hear your thoughts. But Ken Holland takes over, and it's just it, – you, you hate to see it, but at the same time, um, I, I just don't know that he's got a grip on the current structure – and he's still riding the wave. You know, I don't want to bash the guy too bad, but, mm-hmm. uh, you know, what? what's your take on Edmonton in their situation? There's something in the water up there. I mean, I, I'm not joking. It, it is amazing how many young, talented players that they've had um, for a while now, and, and it's just not happening up there. It's it's absolutely amazing, and, and – uh, uh, I saw Connor McDavid, what was it, his second game in the OHL? You know, he got the special exemption and, and, and played young. So I think it was his second game in the in the OHL. It's, you know, all the years run together now. Yeah. But um, phenomenal talent, no, no, no doubt about it. I think you have to put him in the top two or three in this league, uh, no doubt. No doubt about that. I love Sidney Crosby. I'm not going to lie. And I know that's not popular to say around here. Um, he's a phenomenal hockey player. Just the, the in every facet of the game, he's, he really is. And uh, all his whining aside, it, it, I mean, that's the type of guy that you want on your team. You know, a guy, the guy, a guy that is willing to literally do anything. And to be as talented as he is and kind of lead the example like that, um, it, it really is amazing, you know, but I, I think very, very soon, um, Connor's probably going to take that title of the best player in the league. Um, in, in my opinion, I think he's going to take that, that title sooner rather than later, you know, since 33 years old now, but no, I I'm with you there. There is something amiss with Edmonton. I, I think, and, 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 you know, there are other pieces there too. Like I, I love Darnell nurse. I, he's a guy, I saw him playing for the Sioux and I I think he's a tremendous defender and I think you know he's shown uh, signs of that here in the league I I don't understand why it it just seems like the puzzle pieces aren't working it's kind of like Toronto it's kind of like Toronto where you yeah that's a good that's a good that's a good example yeah you have all on paper the Maple Leafs should be in the in the first round of the playoffs right now they should be playing still uh, yet when you watch them, I mean, except for that, you know, two goals, two goals in uh, what three minutes, three three goals in three minutes to to tie up the the game with the Blue Jackets. Uh, man, you you just wonder because you have the league superstars, McDavid, Austin Matthews, certainly in that four or five players that are key figures for the league. They're out. Uh, yeah. Do you think that we, you know? What's it going to take? You know, they got rid of Babcock in Toronto. Is it, you know, the coaching? Is it the the GM? Is it, you know, problem players? What what do you see? You know, it's interesting when you talk about Toronto. I, I, I think 
their their blue line's atrocious, and and Freddie was left out to dry far too much, and I don't think that he is a stud by any stretch of the imagination. He's a very I, serviceable goaltender. Though. Yes, that's ex- you, you nailed that. I think that's a good word. Um, he's certainly not a stud in, by any stretch of the imagination. And, you know, that soft serve that he gave up in the last game really hurt them. <laughs> I, I think I think their, their blue line, I'll say it again, is atrocious. I can't believe how bad they are in their own end. Everybody thought that this was kind of the mix that was finally going to get um, Toronto over the top because in, in years gone by – part of the issue in Toronto is it always seems like there are voices coming from every direction, you know, and you know, this guy and that guy and this guy and, and, and some names certainly in the past few years. Um, but with uh, Shani and, and, and Kyle there, everybody thought that they were, you know, kind of on the same page. Um, listen, Mike Babcock made his own bed. And, and I think Mike Babcock learned from it. Um, you know, I'm sure people have heard he's, he's going to, to basically this year, uh, start from scratch and, and, and be a, uh, uh, a coach for Vermont, but an unpaid uh, coach for Vermont and, you know, try to work his way back up and everything. Um, but boy, it's the stories were there for a long, oh, time. you know, and it, it's funny. I'm everybody knew like it wasn't, it wasn't a secret. Like everybody, everybody, that's why I was kind of taken aback when that became what it became because, Everybody around here has a Mike Babcock story. And, and let me say this in fairness to Mike Babcock. Mike Babcock, on a personal level, I, I, great guy, wonderful guy. He, he didn't live too far from where I live. And um, I got a chance to see him at the, the rink near me uh, a lot. And wonderful guy. I, I'm not joking. I, I, I think, you know, he, he liked to play those mind games with guys. And, you know, as a lot of coaches like to do that. And, um, so obviously it, it cost him, but I I'm with you. It wasn't, it wasn't a secret that, that, you know, there were some crazy things going on in that regard. So um, with that being said, I, I think lesson learned and, and he'll be the better for it moving forward. Um, but yeah, it's Toronto's a mess. You know, I, I'm with you. It, two years ago, I thought to myself, Oh no, they're going to win a Stanley cup and we're all going to pay. Like if people don't know, if the Leafs win a Stanley Cup, you guys, it is going to – we are all going to pay. The rest never of the hockey – Never going to hear the end of it. Never, ever, ever going to hear the end of it. So, um, you know, I, I, I thought a couple of years ago it was eminent. You know, it's interesting. We were talking about, you know, Vancouver earlier and um, – or, excuse me, Winnipeg earlier. I, I thought that Winnipeg was on the cusp a couple of years ago, and it seems like all they've done is go like that. And I, I thought Toronto was a couple of years away, and all they – seems they've done is that i mean it's amazing when you look at the lack of success that that franchise has had it, it is absolutely it is amazing how how what a poor franchise it's been for a long long time and with all the, the talented players that 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 have have gone in there it's 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 mind-boggling it really is i'm i'm sure you just it keeps you up at night you cry in your beer i i know um you know, it's it's really interesting. I didn't know that Babcock uh, got a gig in Vermont. Maybe he'll be more Scotty Bowman and less the coach of the Letterkenny St. Pat's, maybe. Right, yeah. Un- unpaid unpaid assistant. Isn't that funny? Very yeah. interesting. Yeah. For the catamounts. Yeah. Um, okay, so I, I want to switch gears as we're winding down here and just ask you, you're, you've, you've 
spend a lot of time in Big Ten country, and we got Phil Steele coming up. Um, I want to ask you something that I'm not going to ask uh, Phil, and that is, is for, for the Big Ten, is spring ball doable? And I know that uh, Michigan high schools have, have pushed high school ball to the spring as well. Mm -hmm. uh, Two-parter, you know, obviously with the Big Ten question. And then second of all, what do you see kind of the machinations of what's going to happen high school-wise? Are we going to get kids opting out, leaving for school early, stuff like that? Yeah, that's it's a great question. Um, is it doable? Absolutely. Um, this was another one of those things. Um, I got wind of this in April. I'm not joking. I got I got wind of this in April that they were talking about. The first timeline that I had heard, believe it or not, was they were going to start the season the Saturday after the uh, college basketball championship game. So. Monday was going to be, you know, the traditional college basketball championship game. And the season was going to start the Saturday after and, and roll per usual. And, and, you know, back in April, I heard that and I was like, no way, no way. Um, do I think that's going to be the schedule now? No, I, I don't. I, I think they're going to start uh, earlier than that. I think there might be some double dipping going on, which isn't going to make a lot of the college basketball uh, fans happy because they have to get it done. Is it doable? Yes, it, it's doable. Do I still have my doubts? Yes, I have my doubts. But what kind of makes me think that they're going to do this is the time-honored issue of money. Um, these schools need the money. They need the gate. I think it would be infinitely better for schools. Um, let's all hope for the sake of humanity that, that COVID is either gone or under real control uh, by then. They would love nothing more than to open up the gates and bring in 85,000, 100,000 people. These, these athletic departments need this money. I mean, period, end of story. I mean, some of these schools, I mean, it is, it is absolutely imperative that they have that. Um, you, you bring up such a great question, Al, because this is, um, I know this is a big time worry of the MHSAA is that some of these guys are going to opt out and some of these guys are going to look to transfer to a team like Clarkson. Yeah. Yeah. Right. They're going to look to transfer to Indiana or Ohio or whatever the case may be. Um, I, I hope that doesn't happen. Um, but it is to me, it's so much even beyond, um, beyond football. You know, I know a lot of the hockey coaches are terrified of guys leaving and going to play for that triple a team or going to play, um, you know, wh wherever they may as well. So it, it is a really, really, um, delicate situation right now and, and one that still is incredibly fluid. I think they'll go in, in the spring though. I think, I think they'll go. I, I, I really do. I think it, it starts with the MHSAA uh, director, Mark Yule. I think he, um, he, he knows how imperative it is. So I, I think they'll go in the spring. It, it's going to be weird. I can't tell you in recent years, um, when I was a kid, I never cared about high school football. Even when I was at my school, I didn't, whatever. You know, of course you hope the team wins, but sure. I, I'll tell you as, as I've gotten older, it's great to go back to my alma mater, Livonia Stevenson. It's, it's great to go to, you know, the, the hometown team, you know, we live in Northville now. My son went to Northville. My daughter's at Northville. It's great to go to those games. I, I love it. It's, it's so much fun. I mean, there's a sense of community. 
and you know the football up here is so good now um I, it's just going to be so weird not to do that on Fridays here. Um, it's going to be very weird. So, Shawnee, I can't thank you enough for coming on, man. Uh, thank you for the time. You've been more than gracious with it. Once again, where can people find you? Where can people get your musings, your takes, and uh, <laughs> your gifts? No, I, I appreciate it. It's been a pleasure chatting with you as well. It's 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 fun to do this. Uh, I'm on WJR. You know, do a show on Friday, do a show on Sunday, and I bounce around all over the place too. It's a pleasure you know, to, to be able to stay here at home and, and, and still continue my career. And I work for state champs and, you know, call games all over the place. So um, yeah, wherever you find me, you find me. It's, it's, it's a fun spot right now because uh, I've been able to be, to be dad and, and, and be a part of my kids growing up. Cause as you know, and we talked about before we started uh, any parent knows this, it, it goes by so quickly. The next thing you know, you, you, what my son's going to be 21 in two weeks. So that blew my mind. Yeah. Right. So I remember um, you being on air. Oh, you know, I just, just had my baby boy and I'm yeah. like, man, am I an old, old yeah, dude yeah. now? So I'm going to be able to go to the bar and buy him a beer in a couple of weeks, which is I pretty funny in and of itself. But um, yeah, it's uh yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun, you know, and, and it's a pleasure chatting with you. You reach out anytime, make sure you tell Phil Steele. I said, hello, we go back about 25 years. So uh, make sure you tell them I said hello, and I look forward to that one as well. I absolutely will. Sean, we will have you back. And right after these words, as Sean so aptly put it, the godfather of college football, our patron saint, Phil Still, he's on right after this. Hey, everybody. It's Stu from the StuCast inviting you to – Check out the Starter Allowance Podcast, hosted by Andrew Grismore. Every single week, he's dropping great content with amazing guests and a lively handicapping roundtable, looking at big races every single week across the country. Check him out wherever you're getting your podcasts. He is part of the StuCast Sports Network. Let's go play some ponies and let's cash some tickets. At this time, I mean, this guy is – he needs no introduction, but I'm going to give it give him one anyway. He is the godfather of college football. He is the patron saint of college football fans. He's been canonized in Rome. He is the great Phil Steele. Thank you, Phil, for coming on. How are you, brother? You know, I am doing great, Al, and I appreciate the introduction. Very nice. No, I mean, uh, I was telling you off air, I bought my first copy of your book in about 2000, 2001 timeframe, hearing you with uh, <laughs> our guest beforehand, Sean Belizean, and getting introduced to you. And, you know, it's one of those things, I pre-ordered my copy this year on philsteel.com, but, you know, I bought it in a grocery store I think it was a Kroger's somewhere. Is it still in there or where can people find the hard copy book? Well, I appreciate that. Al. Yeah. This year's different because of COVID, you know, naturally a couple of things changed. Number one was when we sent the magazine to the press, we normally go to the press the end of May this year. We didn't go until the start of July 
And because of the what was going on, uh, what I did is instead of printing a couple hundred thousand magazines and putting them everywhere, putting them in the Kroger's, putting them in every bookstore out there, we only printed 50,000 magazines this year. And we only put them in Barnes & Noble and Books A Million, the only two places. So exclusively, and I've had a lot of people hit me up on Twitter at PhilSteel042, and they say, Phil, I've been driving all over the city looking for it. I'm saying don't drive all over the city looking for it. Just go to Barnes & Noble or Books A Million. Those are the only two locations that have it this year. It's a different type of year. Or you can go right to the website, which is philsteel.com. That's S-T-E-E-L-E.com. And, and I pre-ordered mine, like I said, in, in uh, late June uh, as you were getting ready to, to ship it out. And I'll tell you what, this is, it's really crazy, man. What's your take on it? Cause this book has grown to be a collector's item. I mean, especially this year where there's only 50,000 produced. I mean, I know a lot of folks are, are going out there and buying it to add to the collection of, of 10 or 15 past issues. How's that make you feel? You know, I tell you what, Al, it's it's part of the reason I keep doing the magazine every year. Uh, and part of the reason for the magazines, uh, the fact that we have so many followers is once you get your hands on a copy of the magazine, then you have to have that each and every year after it. And that I take a, a great deal of pride in. And that's why we put so much time and effort into producing the magazine uh, each and every year and put those 100-hour work weeks together during the football season and during magazine season. But it's because... You know, we build up a following of fans that, that need this information now after we, we've produced it. So I got to tell you, it's one of the main reasons we keep doing the magazine each year. And, and there are digital copies. I know I talked to my buddy, the Bobcat. He was asking me, is the digital copy out yet? Uh, as of this morning, when I went on to com, I checked. It's out there digital copies available is there anything different from the digital copy versus the hard copy yeah this year it is going to be different because we will update the schedules on the digital copy now Beautiful. on philsteel.com what i've been doing the last couple of days is i've been uh, we have pdf the brand new schedules for the acc and the big 12 and you can print those off in color and then just cut them out and paste them over your magazine. And that'll, if you use your magazine all year long, which I'm sure you do, Al, uh, it'll actually strengthen the pages. So you'll have yourself a pretty sturdy to, magazine at the end of the year. <laughs> I hate to say it. So I, I've got a three-year-old and he's, and he's in a teething phase. So I might actually <laughs> have to buy the digital copy, which I'm not upset about. But, you know, he keeps seeing the magazine and he makes a beeline for it. And, uh, you know, I don't even call it a magazine. It's the book. It's it's the Bible. And, you know, it, it, like you said, it, this year, obviously, we're, we're under crazy circumstances. A lot of things have changed since you published the book. I want to start with uh, a, an open-ended question. Uh, Pac-12, Big Ten, both push uh, everything off to the spring. And I want to get your take as uh, somebody who is universally respected in the game and revered. It seems to me as a fan, we're both from Big Ten country, it seems to me as a fan that for the Pac-12 especially, but also the Big Ten. This is kind of like a pseudo-SMU-style death penalty, self-imposed kind of thing where you take yourself out of the game. 
And we don't know, we don't know about spring football. And I ask you a question subsequently about that, but what's your take on it? Cause I know it's, I, I know every side is right in this case. Yeah, and here's my take, and I, I, uh, I feel that if the, if the ACC, Big 12, and SEC continue on as planned and play the fall season, we will have a true national champ this year. I mean, three of the four teams that I have predicted in the Final Four will still be playing. Eight of the top ten guys that I had for my Heisman Trophy will still be out there. And let's face it, it'll be a true national championship. In fact, it might be a tougher uh, gauntlet to face. You look at the SEC playing a 10-game conference schedule this year, it's going to be a lot tougher to get to that magical top four team. So I believe if the fall season is played, we will have a true national champ. There is no way the Big Ten and the Pac-12 opt to play in the spring, because if they do opt to play in the spring, they'll have to play a shortened schedule, maybe eight games, and then shorten up their fall schedule, because the college athletes cannot go through two football seasons in one calendar year. So adding it all up, I, I believe we won't see the Big Ten and the Pac-12 play in the spring. And as you hit, I think it's a, a one-year death penalty that the Big Ten is putting on itself where they're not playing football, and that's going to put them behind the ACC, the Big 12, and the SEC who will all be playing football this year. Yeah, I, I you know, I think there's a lot of folks out there, the Mike Valenis of the world, um, a lot of the Big Ten voices are coming out here and saying the same exact thing. For for you, it, when you look at a school like Ohio State in this instance, some of those five-star recruits are starting to leave. Uh, you know, this was a national championship caliber team. Does does it kind of wash away if if we uh, if we take away this full year? And I agree with you; we probably won't have spring. Does it take away from everything, and and we're starting from scratch in the Big Ten next year? Well, I think that you know, you look at look at the question marks Ohio State had last year heading into the season. Number one, they had to replace their quarterback in Haskins. They only had one starter back on the offensive line. They had a brand new head coach coming in at Ryan Day. The defense the previous year allowed 400 yards per game, uh, and which really was atypical. It was one of the worst defenses in Ohio State history, if not the worst statistically. And uh, so there was a lot of question marks. They had come off a lot of close games in 2018. You know, they needed to stop a two-point conversion against Maryland. Minnesota took them deep in the fourth quarter. They got blown out by Purdue. It was not your great Ohio State team. So my expectations for Ohio State last year were not that great. And then Ryan Day steps in and shows that with all the talent they have recruited, Ohio State played great and and almost got to the national title game, sort of outplayed Clemson in the playoff game last year. Now, they were my pick to win it all this year. I thought that they had the talent to get there, and there is plenty of talent at Ohio State. So I don't think it's going to be a massive step back for a team like Ohio State because of the talent they have, but I do think it is going to be tough for them to stay up there with the big boys if they do not play this year and all the big boys do. I think that you you will see a little step back for Ohio State, maybe bottom of the top 10, that type of thing. But for the rest of the conference, I think it's going to be a huge hit. Yeah, I mean, I, I got a question to circle back on later with that. But, uh, you know, I, I'm a Big Ten guy. I know you're a Big Ten guy. You're based out of Ohio. But you, you've been saying on multiple interviews uh, that that, all-American Conference, the AAC, was a lot better than people realized last year. 
I was one of those folks watching Tulsa, watching Tulane. Um, I, I was – I was really digging the AAC, and I was all over Cincinnati over BC. I, w- I gave a big look to Memphis over Penn State. I, I really enjoy the football over there. Is UCF, and I checked philsteel.com, you had a blog post talking about why UCF has now bolted up into contention. Talk to me, why is UCF legit? And, and is the AAC still a very, very serious conference? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, you know, I've been ranking the conferences in the magazine for a long time. And last year was the first time that I ranked a group of five conference ahead of a power five conference. I had the American Conference rated the fifth best conference in college football ahead of the ACC. So that tells you the strength that they had. And the reason I think UCF has a great shot at making the playoff this year is I believe that your ACC champ, your Big 12 champ, and your Big 10 champ will all get in. But the loser of the conference game most likely have two losses or more. When you look at UCF this year, and, you know, I'm not a a huge UCF guy. In other words, last year I had UCF, a team that had gone unbeaten two straight years, I had them finishing second in their division, not even making the American Conference title game, and they didn't. Cincinnati beat them out, played Memphis. Memphis won the title. But UCF's losses last year, the three losses were by a grand total of seven points, and they were somewhat of an inexperienced team, breaking in a new quarterback as well. This year, all eight units rank in my top units in front of the magazine. They have 16 returning starters coming back. Dylan Gabriel, Dariel Mack, and let's hope Mackenzie Milton sees the field. Yep. Deep core running backs, receivers, and their secondary. They could actually have five guys on the senior bowl watch list in the secondary. So that tells you the strength of this team overall. And if they go through the schedule unbeaten, which I've got them pretty much favored in every game, biggest question mark is at Memphis this year how they do in that game. And let's keep in mind, the crowd's not going to be huge for Memphis like it normally is for that type of game. If they run the table, uh, the American Conference gained my respect last year, and you've got an undefeated American Conference team going against a two- or three-loss Power Five team. This is the year for UCF to break in and prove, hey, we're, we're worthy of being in the playoff mix, and I'd be fascinated to watch them play in a playoff game. You know, I, I certainly have to ask you, too, about, you know, I, I agree with you with what you said about the AAC. I mean, it's legit football, and, and people should be watching. But there's been a lot of opt-outs, and, and God bless the kids, you know. I think me and you would both agree that these kids are doing right by their family, and it is what it is, right? Uh, but you see uh, Rousseau leave Miami, a team that you had right. very highly – ranked uh with you know due cause you see just the other day kennedy brooks leaving oklahoma is there a team in your mind that has been most impacted by these opt-outs and maybe a team that people aren't thinking about that maybe improve they've improved their position because of other other players or other teams that have suffered these kind of opt-outs 
Yeah, I haven't made a complete analysis on that yet because I do expect more opt-outs. And as you touched sure. on, if the kid opts out, I it's perfect. I mean, that, that that's their wish. That's what they want. And I, it, it's their right to be able to opt out. You take a look at a team like Southern Miss, which uh, we just posted on uh, Twitter today, Three stars, defensive end Jock Turner, middle linebacker Rakeem Booth, and uh, wide receiver Jalen Adams all opted out this year. So before I make an an assessment on that, I'm going to wait till more folks opt out, you know, as the season approaches. And and then I will have something uh, definitive about teams that made the biggest gains and team that made the biggest losses. And we'll put a blog up on philsteel.com probably about a week prior to the season on that. But that's a that's a great point and a great idea. And uh, when I put that blog out, I'll, I'll mention the fact that uh, you tossed that idea because you just put it in my head. You know, that's that's awesome, man. Um, you know, to me, first thing that comes to mind uh, is Texas and UNC. Uh, Rousseau takes about 13 to 15 sacks away from that Miami D-line. And Kennedy Brooks, I mean, uh, Stevenson is is okay, and they, they certainly have talent. It's Oklahoma, but, you know, Texas just seems like they're it's the right team this year. Um, what are your thoughts on Texas and UNC? Yeah, Texas is a team that's clearly going to contend with Oklahoma. In fact, last year, uh, Texas was a trendy pick, but they only had eight returning starters. Then the defense took a hard hit with injuries. At one point, they were missing four defensive backs, and uh, the season wasn't quite what they expected. But this year, they have uh, 16 returning starters. Sam Ellinger's back at QB. Uh, the defense, all those guys that had a start last year due to the injuries, they're all back. So this is a loaded Texas team. In the last six years, They've beaten Oklahoma twice, and uh, all six games have been decided by a touchdown or less, so there wasn't much of a gap. And remember with Oklahoma, they not only lose Kennedy Brooks, but Trey Sermon transferred to Ohio State. So they lose a couple of running backs off of that unit, and that does turn into a question mark. We'll see who else ends up opting out. Now with Miami, remember they brought in Quincy Roche from Temple. Uh, he had 13 and a half sacks last year. Now, I have to admit, when I picked Miami as my most improved team, I was thinking, wow, Quincy Roche on one end, uh, Rousseau on the other end, De'Ara King, a quarterback. Uh, two of those three guys are back, and I still think Miami's talented, but I already had North Carolina as my pick to win their division, and I think the Tar Heels are loaded this year. 17 returning starters. They've got their quarterback back, who was fantastic last year as a true freshman. Uh, so this is a, a North Carolina team that uh, does look like the clear-cut favorites. Now, they're not playing divisional play in the ACC anymore, so I think your three biggest favorites for the ACC right now are naturally going out on a limb here, Al. I'm going to say Clemson. How about that? <laughs> and then we're going to go with uh, going to go with Notre Dame and North Carolina. I think those three right there are going to battle it out to see who plays in that ACC championship game. Well, hopefully you don't take as many shots on that, on that prediction, which is extremely bold, Phil, uh, as you did on your A&M prediction. And uh, there was a ton of flack online, and I've heard a lot of folks, uh, my friends at Texas Football Talk, they were they had a whole show about, you know, just trying to dissect is Kellen Mond gonna make that progression? Are the, is he gonna do that? Because the pieces are there. Jimbo's put the pieces in there, and and this is your team, and you don't miss with your team. Yeah, uh, historically, uh, a Phil Steele 
you know, team that he he projects to get into that uh, top four, top five is going to make it. Man, I've seen Kellen Mond. Uh, it, my friend John has, has seen him in person, and we both just uh, – it, it just doesn't seem like it's there. The pieces are around him, sure. If it's not A&M in the SEC, is there another team that's, like, right behind them, nipping at their heels that can make that jump, or is it just A&M? Uh, well, I think Alabama, Georgia, Florida are going to be your three favorites there. But A&M is clearly the team that I'm looking at. And it goes back to my conversations with Coach Jimbo Fisher the last three years. And, you know, I've watched him build this team. You look at the freshman class he brought in one year ago, two years – or year, three, uh, two years ago, last year, and then this year. Three great freshman classes. And, you know, going over the team with Coach Fisher last year, two things really stuck out to me. First of all – they had very few seniors on the team. They only had four to five seniors on the entire squad. So they were a young team. And then the other thing that stood out was that schedule. And as it was, they took on number one ranked Clemson, number one ranked Alabama, number one ranked LSU, who placed three number one teams in the same season. They also took on number four Georgia and number eight Auburn. So it was a hellacious schedule. It was a, a, a young team. And now this year, they're not young anymore. They've got seniors all over the place. They've got three recruiting classes by Jimbo Fisher, 17 returning starters. And Kellen Mond, if you follow Jimbo Fisher, you know he's really hard on his quarterback. So it's tough for him to throw a lot of compliments. But he said that Kellen Mond this year completely understands the offense. He was a gym rat in the offseason, a workout fanatic, and he's just highly competitive. And he expects him to have a big senior year, as do I. And we saw that with a quarterback like Joe Burrow uh, last year. Remember two years ago, Joe Burrow was an average quarterback. But you saw the progression at the end of the year. The the offseason work ethic was tremendous. And all of a sudden, Joe Burrow turned into a Heisman Trophy winner. I could see that same type of progression going for Kellen this year. So I'm not backing off A&M one bit. Some rapid-fire questions as we round down here. Uh a lot's been made. You've been very prominent about talking about it. First-year coaches, they are behind the eight ball across the board. It doesn't matter whether you took over in November, uh, December, January, or you got SOL, uh, like my new favorite coach up in East Lansing, uh, late February. I mean, it's no just – Yeah, I got a question for, for Sparty Nation. But is, is there one coach in one program with that, with that first-year coach that you think actually could make it over the hump of 500 this year? Yeah, I'm going to uh, take you out to uh, uh, Hawaii and uh, my conversation with, uh, coach, with coach Todd Graham. And, uh, you know, they're coming off a big season – they lose their head coach. Their first-year head coach didn't really have any spring practices, so you're not expecting much out of them. But i got to tell you, Coach Graham was buoyant over the talent that he inherited. And it's a different – I mean, when I talked to Coach Jeremy Pruitt, and he took over Tennessee as an example, he had come from Alabama and Georgia, and he was like, wow, this is the talent I have here? He was really disappointed in the talent he had. And he's improved that the last three years. But with Hawaii, Coach Todd Graham has stepped in, and he's been a new head coach at like five, six places. I think I've talked to him at each stop. 
this is the most he's been impressed with the talent he's inherited. So he loves the overall talent, the line play. He loves the attitude of the players. And he feels that they're going to compete for the uh, the Mountain West title this year. Unfortunately, Mountain West not playing, so we'll see what happens. Wow, that's, that's a great point. And, uh, I mean, us degenerate gamblers love us some Hawaii football at 2 o'clock in the morning here on the East Coast. Uh, <laughs> hey, uh, last question. I got to ask it for Sparty Nation. You've been very poignant, and your remarks have – they just show how tuned in you are because Sparty Nation is kind of – we're looking at our team – Mel Tucker, we have a lot of high hopes, but man, did he get dealt a bad hand. I mean, he's got he's got uh, twos and sevens and they're off suit, and he's it, like he didn't get any chance to recruit. He's he's had what maybe three practices ish with his whole team. Um, you know, I'll ask a question that we've been kind of kicking back and forth in chat rooms and what have you. This season is 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 a wash. We're just taking it as a wash. It, what's a realistic timetable? Do you think for a guy like Mel Tucker, and and we can even expand that to folks, uh, you know, across the country where they're taking over this a similar situation, but maybe maybe Michigan State in particular. Uh yeah, I, th- I think with Michigan State, generally when a new head coach comes in, I like to give them three years. You get three recruiting classes in, that's usually when you hit their stride. I think it is going to take that long with Michigan State. As you touched on, first-year head coach, no spring practices, inexperienced teams. These are all things that you go against them. And then as you touched on as well, uh, came in in February, and D'Antonio stepped down after the, the signing class was. So, you know, talking to Coach Tucker this spring, there was no knowledge, no on-field knowledge of any of the players that he had. It's an inexperienced team. Yeah, this is a Michigan State team that's made three straight bowl games and they figured to struggle this year. But I could see him get this thing turned around. I'm going to say the third year is the year that Michigan State can get back up there and, uh, you know, the fourth year maybe get back to the level they were contending for the Big Ten. But the third year you'll start to see that improvement and, and Michigan State will start playing the football that they can. But, yeah, it's one of the toughest circumstances. The other toughest circumstance probably goes to Mississippi State with Mike Leach taking over in zero spring practices, trying to turn a run-based team into a wide-open pass team. I think that's going to be a two- to three-year transition. And remember, he went 3-9 and nine as first year at Washington State. Is that Mississippi State move real quick uh, akin to, you know, similar to what Georgia Tech had to go through where you're going from an option to, you know, shotgun spread offense? Is, is it a similar thing or is that completely removed? Uh, it's, it's more like the move at Arkansas. Okay. Uh, remember when uh, the, when Brett Bielema was at Arkansas, he had big offensive linemen. And yep. then uh, they brought in Morris, and Morris wanted smaller, quicker offensive linemen. And they switched from, you know, they didn't have the receiving core that Morris liked. Morris wasn't enamored with his receiving core when he took over. And uh, you look at what happened with Arkansas. It took them two years to, to get to the level they wanted. And, and that hurt him. So it's more like that type of move. The Georgia Tech one was uh, the opposite side of the spectrum where they had lighter, smaller offensive linemen, and their new head coach wanted big guys up front. So it, it took him. Uh, it, this year he finally got there in his second year already. He's got the biggest, bigger offensive line. But it's that type of move. I'd, I'd compare a little bit more to Arkansas. 
Beautiful. Uh, Phil, where can the good people find you? Where can the good people find the book? I appreciate that, Al. Once again, we only printed 50,000 magazines this year. So if you're out and about looking around for it, don't, don't waste your gas. It's only at two places, Barnes & Noble and Books A Million exclusively this year. So that's Barnes & Noble, Books A Million. They've got the magazines. Make sure you get there before they're sold out because we only printed 50,000. We're not going to print another 50,000. So go and get to that issue right now. And if you can't find it at Barnes & Noble and Books A Million, you can go online at philsteel.com. That's S-T-E-E-L-E philsteel.com and you could purchase the magazine right there like you did al and uh we'll ship it out to you if you order it before one o'clock in the afternoon we ship it out the same day priority mail so barnes and noble books a million philsteel.com and don't forget to follow me on twitter it's at philsteel 042 and i can't stress enough folks this is literally the only sports book i buy all year this is the creme de la creme this is the best most uh, analytically uh, charged up thing you're going to read about any sport bar none he is the great Phil Steele thank you Phil for coming on Um, you are uh, our patron saint so I will send tithings I will send you uh, maybe some frankincense we'll work on the myrrh and uh, (laughs) you know I can't thank you enough for coming on Phil Hey, a lot of fun talking football with you today, Al. And uh, it was good talking to you for the first time. Hey, much love. I can't wait to have you on again. And hopefully it'll be down the road. But until then, that's the end of the StuCast. Until next week, I'm Stu. That's Phil Steele. Check him out, philsteele.com. And we are out.